Welcome to Listen Up, a Marine Log podcast. I'm John Snyder, publisher and editor of Marine Log. The IMO 2020 sulfur cap is posing unprecedented challenges to ship owners and the bunkering supply chain. While fuel suppliers are developing 0.5% compliant fuels to meet the January 1st, 2020 deadline, there are still questions about the very nature of the blended fuels and its availability. Some operators have also decided to use exhaust gas cleaning systems, so-called scrubbers, to meet compliance, while a small percentage have opted for burning LNG or other gas-derived fuel. To get a clearer picture on the IMO 2020 sulfur cap, we spoke with Kiersey Tika, Executive Vice President, Global Marine at ABS. You know, certainly one of the challenges facing the marine industry now is the IMO global sulfur cap. What's the ultimate goal of the sulfur cap? Uh, sulfur oxide is uh, a pollutant and uh, um, similar to particulate matter and, and NOx. It, it's a, a health hazard and also sulfur oxides in the atmosphere can cause um, acid rain. So by reducing the sulfur oxide emissions from shipping, it, it is both a, a beneficial for health, population health, as well as for the environment. And um, unfortunately, shipping is uh, quite a big producer of sulfur oxides into the atmosphere because shipping traditionally has been burning high sulfur fuel oil. And so the objective of the 2020 is really to reduce the sulfur content in the fuel so that um, the emissions uh, contain less sulfur oxides. Now, there is an alternative to using um, exhaust gas cleaning as an alternative to low sulfur fuel. Um, and in that case, we're cleaning the sulfur oxide from the emission and try to get the equivalent result than you would get from burning low sulfur fuel. Now you mentioned exhaust gas cleaning or, or scrubbers as one of the options for, for owners. What, what are the, the uh, options for compliance with the 2020 uh, sulfur cap? Well, the first option is uh, definitely to burn compliant fuel. Compliant fuel means a fuel that has uh, less than 0.5% sulfur content. That's the first option. As I mentioned, another option is to use an exhaust gas cleaning, which is people refer to scrubber, which cleans the sulfur oxide from the emissions, and the approval is based on the equivalency of gaining the same results as you would get from burning the low sulfur fuel. So those are the main two options that um, are being implemented. But there are other options which is alternative, such as LNG as a fuel, which some owners, operators have opted, not as retrofits, but for new buildings in some cases. However, it's a small percentage. Of, uh, of the fleet that will have LNCS fuel. And then there are other uh, technologies, other fuels available that can be used for today's technology, um, such as LPG, uh, ethane, and methanol. But those are implemented even less than LNG as a fuel. And what are the, the major advantages of um, each choice or disadvantages, and, and how is ABS supporting your clients right. with, with these choices? So the main advantage of the low sulfur fuel oil is 
that you really do not have to make major modifications to the vessel to burn compliant fuel. There may be some modifications required, but most uh, owners operators have already done those modifications to be able to operate the 0.1% fuel in the ECA zones. And so for most vessels you would not need any additional modifications. So in that way it's an easy option to select. However, there are some concerns about the availability of the fuels, particularly in terms of the worldwide distribution and also our compatibility of the different fuels because there will be multiple fuels available. And then there are quality concerns, particularly for the blended fuels, which most of the compliant fuels will be blended fuels. And there are concerns about the quality of those fuels and some of the safety concerns that, that result from potential off-spec fuels. So that's the compliant fuel. In terms of a scrubber, um, scrubber installation um, obviously requires a uh, capital expense because you have to do the installation, you have to do the engineering design work to find out the space requirements and then you have to purchase the scrubber, install it, take the vessel out of service for the period of installation. So there's a cost, major capital cost involved. Now the benefit is that you can continue to burn heavy sulfur fuel oil. And I didn't mention with the compliant fuel that there is a price concern with the compliant fuels. It's uncertain what the price of those fuels is going to be relative to heavy sulfur fuel oil and also relative to the distillate's uh, MGO. So the benefit for the scrubber is that uh, the heavy sulfur fuel oil is expected to be conti continue to be much cheaper than MGO, obviously but also cheaper, considerably cheaper than the low sulfur fuel oil. And so particularly for larger vessels with higher fuel consumption, the payback period for the scrubber installation can be fairly short. And that is most of the time the, the driving force in installation of, of scrubbers. What's, what's ABS doing to support its clients in, in this process? So we have, um, first um, is we're trying to provide as much information as possible on the regulatory requirements so that um, the industry understands what the requirements are and what are the options available. And then in addition to that, we do provide economic analysis, uh, looking at uh, different, op comparing different options for a particular fleet or a particular vessel. And we also do technology evaluations. Not every option is equally suitable for all ships, depending on the type of the ship and also the operational profile. And therefore we provide technology evaluation, looking at what particular types of, for example, scrubbers would be suitable for a, a particular vessel. And then we do also support, if somebody chooses to do a retrofit, we support um, uh, with various services uh, the retrofit work um, for the owners. Now, it, ABS also does quite a bit of work, or has done quite a bit of work in the area of LNG fuel vessels. Correct. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, we've, we've 
Then uh, we classed a number of different types of vessels with LNGSO fuel. O obviously, we have classed a number of um, LNG carriers with LNGSO fuel. But and the significance with that for the other types of vessels is that we have approved every engine type available for LNGSO fuel. And so we have a lot of experience from that. And for the other ship types, we have classed OSVs, container ships. We're currently classing a car carrier. Um, so we've done various types of vessels. Uh, tankers also we've classed um, and currently classing Aframax tankers with LNGSO fuel. We've, done, uh, we've been involved with the Fast Forward project, which is a uh, LNG fuel uh, bulk carrier project. So uh, we certainly have a lot of um, knowledge about LNGSO fuel for different types of vessels. And it's, it is a very viable uh, solution as a, as a technology. But again, uh, it has a, a relatively high capital cost. And then there is some uncertainty for about the future price of the LNGSO fuel as a fuel rather than LNGSO cargo. And the biggest unknown really still today is the infrastructure. Also, LNG operation is different from liquid fuel operation, so you would require additional training for the crew. Now, do you feel the IMO sulfur cap is a big, as big a game changer as, as OPA was with OPA 90 mm -hmm. regulations in regards to double holes? Right, so OPA 9 um, regulation, um, of course, included a number of um, aspects in addition to the double hull requirement. So, but if we focus just the double hull requirement itself, I think IMO 2020 is probably the biggest environment, the biggest um, change in terms of en environmental regulation in shipping since the double hull requirement. But there are some big differences. The IMO 2020 requirement enters into force overnight, whereas the double hull requirement um, introduced double hull tankers to the fleet gradually. Also, the double hull requirement. Um, the industry was able to respond to it with traditional shipbuilding technology. So it did not really bring any new, requ new required uh, aspects to the industry. Whereas the IMO 2020 regulation impacts not only shipping, it impacts the refineries, it impacts the power sector potentially, and ultimately the customers. And therefore, the decisions that the other sectors, such as refineries or even the power sector, makes will impact the outcome. So there's a lot more uncertainty in this outcome and how the response is going to play out in the, in the end. And you also mentioned the availability of, of fuel and you know, the, the blending uh, mm -hmm. issues that uh, ship owners might, might face. Uh, has ABS done any work in, in that area as far as impacts uh, on engines and such? ABS, we, we, um, we certainly follow that very closely and we're collecting data and information um, on fuels and what the industry is doing um, with, the, with the fuel situation at the moment. Um, we are talking to some of the industry associations on, on what initiatives they are taking. Um, we also very actively participate in the work that IAX is doing in that area. So uh, a lot of our work is channeled through um, IAX and, and the other organizations. 
Now, of course, the sulfur cap is not the only thing on IMO's agenda. Mm -hmm. In 2030, they're going to look at CO2 emissions. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, a reduction of 40% um, as compared to 2008. What are you advising ship owners to do now uh, to prepare for that? Right. So, first of all, the, the current targets are preliminary targets. They were agreed this, Feb uh, this um, April uh, as preliminary targets and they will be finalized in 2023. So there may be some changes. Also, the 40% target by 2030 is per transport work and it's the minimum target. Uh, there's an aim for 70% reduction. So the aim is even higher than the 40% uh, reduction. Now, this reduction is uh, per transport work. So as the transportation demand grows, the percentage is always per the cargo, cargo ton miles carried. So, and compared to the 2008, it's not going to be an easy target, uh, but I believe it's an achievable target with um, current technologies and um, and some of um, some currently available technology uh, technologies with further development. Um, we can achieve those targets by 2030. Do you see older vessels perhaps being retired from the fleet as a, as a possibility? Well, it's it's quite likely that we will see some um, scrapping of all the tonnage also because of 2020 already. Since generally, not always, but generally all the tonnage consumes more fuel. And so you have more emissions, whether it's sulfur oxides or CO2. And you have less incentive to retrofit, less incentive to put scrubbers or other retrofit um, on board the vessels. So that may lead to um, early scrapping already by 2020. By 2030, definitely, um, unless the industry starts early to plan and prepare for those targets, if the industry waits till 2030, there will be there will be tonnage that will not be viable. So it's very much advisable for the industry to be proactive and start preparing early. Um, also for the uh, uh, for being able to be in control of its own destiny rather than wait for the others to to take charge. Now, of course, also on the agenda is is uh, cutting greenhouse gases. You know, Talk a little bit about that. The total reduction of greenhouse gases in 2050, the target is 50%. And compared to the 2030 target, that's very ambitious. Um, why do I say that? It's ambitious because it's um, a total reduction. And so if the world economy gr continues to grow, even at a low rate, and the accordingly the transport demand, waterboard transport demand grows, the volumes of cargo carried and the volumes of emissions increase unless we do something. And so if we think, for example, that from, two, uh, and again, benchmark is 2008. If we think that, assume that on average, the transport demand would 
grow 3% a year. And we meet the 40% target per transport work by 2030. That doesn't even compensate for the increased transportation demand. In other words, we're not even compensating the increased emissions just because the volume increases. So that gives you a little bit of an idea how challenging it is to reduce the total CO2, not only CO2, greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. So that requires significant amount of research and development, and it really requires all stakeholders to be involved. It's not feasible for some parts of the industry alone to, to reach those targets. Not that uh, anyone has a crystal ball, but if you, if you did for, for a second, what type of ships do you think we're going to be looking at in, say, in 2050? Electric ships? Probably some level of autonomy. Um, operated from shore rather than on board the vessels, or full auto autonomy, um, difficult to say at this point. And why would autonomy help um, in reaching these targets? It would help because it would eliminate, it would simplify the operation, which seems maybe contradictory to thinking this complexity of autonomy but it would simplify, the systems would be complicated, but it could simplify the operation and optimization of the, of the operation, if that makes sense. That does, that does make sense. Well, thank you, Kiersey, that was great. Thank you.